You're listening to The Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Now for political insight and strategy, let's get started with your hosts. Hi, this is Caitlin Martin. I'm Towner French. This is Patrick Martin. This is Mark Alderman. This is Howard Schweitzer. Mark, we have we have new friends today. New friends. Old, old friends new to the podcast. Old, very, very good clarification. We have with us today, we kicked off Towner, Patrick, Caitlin, and Tristan. We have Jim Davis, who is in our Harrisburg office and leads our Pennsylvania practice. Joe Hill, who is in our Philadelphia office and leads our Philadelphia practice. And Kevin Kerr from Pittsburgh, who leads our Pittsburgh and Western Pennsylvania practice. So a team of leaders today. A, a team of leaders, a team of Pennsylvanians, except for yours truly, from different parts of the state. You guys have the whole state covered. There are more Pennsylvanians on this call than in the Republican Senate primary. <laughs> uh, that's true. Getting it started, getting it started well. I like it. I like it. Guys, welcome. Thanks for coming on. And obviously, it was a big, big week in Pennsylvania with the election on Tuesday. Uh, Joe, let's start start with you. Tell us, uh, break down what happened and, and tell us where you think things stand. Yeah, so um, I, I wouldn't say there were a ton of surprises. Uh, it was certainly a bizarre primary here, um, but I think everything we thought was gonna happen, happened, you know, with starting with the Senate race, um, John Fetterman, uh, you know, blowing it out. I mean, winning every county in the Commonwealth, all 67, uh, thought there would be some areas of the state where uh, he underperformed uh, Malcolm Kenyatta, for instance. I thought maybe Malcolm would edge him out in Philly, but uh, he had a commanding lead throughout the primary and, um, you know, ended up doing really well. Uh, We still wait to see what happens on the Republican side uh, of that contest. you know, we're waiting with bated breath, but I'm sure there'll be uh, lots of legal challenges and, and everything else. And we'll find out sometime next week. You got the gubernatorial race, um, you know, Josh, obviously unopposed. Um, no surprise there. Uh, and then, you know, Doug Mastriano, I, I'm going to reserve comments about that for Jim. Uh, he's a he's a character. And um it's going to be a wild ride leading up to leading up to November. Um, some interesting stuff happened out west in Pittsburgh that I'll you know let Kevin talk about. But uh, definitely the eyes of the nation are on Pennsylvania because of how wacky our race is going to be, especially on the Senate side. Jim, what say you? If you can get your mute button. No, yeah, no, I'm I'm good. I um. I just I, I do appreciate being uh, having being on a podcast after the election uh, prior, than than before because it's a lot easier to talk about what happened than trying to predict what was going to happen. Um, my takeaway is just uh, absolutely stunned that uh, Mastriano got almost forty four percent of the Republican vote. I thought he'd be um, maybe high water mark of of thirty, and that was pushing it. I was I was more in the mid twenties. Um, but he got 44%. Second place was Barletta with just over 20%. So he uh, he doubled up to second place 
uh, finisher. And to the best of my knowledge, I was told that he won every county in the state, which kind of like Joe mentioning about Fetterman, um, I have not been able to confirm that yet, but I find that to be shocking as well, that that he would win every county in the state. Now, as those those of us, those of you that are on the podcast know, um, there was some late moves uh, within the last week of, of the election where uh, candidates were uh, endorsing Congressman Barletta and pulling their name, not literally, but um, figuratively from the ballot to try to get uh, some support to a more moderate candidate. Um, and I, I, maybe that moved one or two percent to Barletta. I'm not sure. Um, you know, I, I would argue to Kevin uh, that it moved a significant percentage of votes that were going to go to to Senator Corman to Barletta. But um, that is a side bet that Kevin and I will dispute at some other point. But I guess I'll stop there and 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 give the floor to Kevin as well. No, I, I think the the only two things that we haven't touched on are the the Democrat and Republican candidates for lieutenant governor, um, which produced some interesting takeaways. Uh, obviously, on the D side, um, a huge win for Austin Davis. He won, I think, by the largest margin of anyone running statewide. Uh, 32-year-old young black man from Pittsburgh, from south of Pittsburgh, um, who's definitely a rising star in the party, um, a son of McKeesport, just south of Pittsburgh. Um, and he, you know, just a few years ago was working as a, an executive assistant to the county executive here, but he's been long involved in party politics in Western PA. Um, great guy, great reputation. It's hard to find people uh, to say something bad about him. So to see his rising star, I think, was an interesting takeaway um, in the LG race on the Democratic side. And on the Republican side, a similar story uh, in Representative Kerry Lewis Del Rosso, who's a state rep, um, was just recently elected two years ago after asking a long-term incumbent um, and she, you know, has, has risen from Oakmont Borough Council person, I think, before the state rep to LG candidate for um, the Republican side in a number of two years. So two major, uh, you know, sort of young rising stars on, on their respective parties uh, as ticket mates. Now, it'll be interesting to see because I think stylistically uh, she is quite a bit different than uh, the head of her ticket in Doug Mastriano. And to watch um, the Republican Party, I think, sort of parse what they will stand for and what they're going to run on um, on a ticket with two uh, pretty different personalities will be interesting uh, in the next couple of months. So what is, Mark, what's motivating this electorate? You know, you got just look at the at the Senate race. Yeah, what's motivating the electorate is anger. I think this is an anger election. I think Fetterman's success is largely due to an angry Democratic electorate where half the Democrats didn't want Biden to begin with and the other half are mad at him. And Fetterman, if any candidate ever ever looked angry, it's John Fetterman. So I, I think anger, anger is animating this on both sides. I think that explains Mastriano's success. And I would just add two two other thoughts. Uh, one is, as Kevin was saying, there, there's a bit of uh, a turning of the page here. You, you have younger, not newer, Josh is certainly not new, Fetterman's not new, but you have younger candidates than we've been running uh, in the past uh, on both sides, really. And, and you have... Uh, some like Summer Lee, Kevin should talk about that race out there who are very progressive. Fetterman 
progressive sort of kind of also. The other thing, though, Howard, is that uh, the big winner in the primary on the Republican side and maybe overall is Donald Trump. And it doesn't matter who he endorsed. Everybody running on the Republican side was begging for Trump's endorsement. And everybody, the top two finishers, Barletta's a hardcore stop the steal election denier. So that now you're up to two thirds, Jim, of the Republican Party. And on the Senate side, the, the top three finishers, not one of them would say that Joe Biden was the president. Uh, so Trump has Trump has succeeded beyond my imagination in selling the big lie. It now rules the Republican Party, and it doesn't matter who he endorses. And that's going to be Joe a, a problem. Do not count Doug Mastriano out here. Uh, Josh should really. Josh should beat him by a lot. Jim, I see your uh, hand signals there. In 2016, Donald Trump had a one in three chance of being president, and he served for four years, got impeached twice, but served for four (laughs) years. Doug Mastriano has no less than a one in three shot. Yeah, those are him. Yeah. And Mark, like you said, those were the same hand signals and eye rolls that we saw in 2016. Right. <laughs> it's like, you know. Yeah, I, I was giving them. Was, yeah. <laughs> exactly. I, I think, you know, stranger things have happened. And, you know, I the only difference I think is, you know, Doug Maestrano hasn't demonstrated the capacity or ability to raise funds. And I think it's going to be really difficult for him to get his message out in, you know, competing against Josh, who's been a fundraising behemoth. And, you know, if a tree falls in the woods, you know, and nobody's there, you know, well, does it make a sound? And I don't know. The if be able to get no, on TV I think, no, I hear you, but, but that would be very different. That's very different in the Senate race, for example, right. where there are limits. As we all know, there are no limits. And there will be billionaires uh, who are writing six or seven figure checks to this guy. That's true. I think, Mark, you, you touched on this earlier, and so did Jim, is, is the 44% number is is a bit staggering, but it, it shows how I think the Republican Party is not, it's not necessarily a bifurcated party with a Trump version of the party and an old school conservative version of the party. Uh, this is this is the party. And, you know, the the when the front runners for, for the nomination um, in all these races are making the same sort of baseline claims, um, you know, it's funny, like we, we look at Doug Mastriano as I think super unique and different from like, you know, like a Dr. Oz or, a, um, you know, a McCormick or the folks who are seen as a little bit more moderate, but you know, the, the, the party line remains pretty similar and there's not a super cohesive set of, of, you know, of policy plans and a platform. It, it's very much driven by the same thing. And so Mastriano seems very extreme, um, but it, it also is, in, in a lot of ways, I think the the mainstream argument coming from uh, the party right now, whether whether old school conservatives like that or not, I think that's the reality we're in. So he, he's he's a traditional Republican, and I would I would be I think it's foolish to count any Republican out um, in November of 2022. Yeah, I, I would just ar- I would argue that uh, a, a number of traditional Republicans that I've spoken with, both prior to and and since the election 
they're going to struggle with going to vote for uh, a, a Mastriano for governor. And and a number of them have said that. And a number have said also, and uh, actually within uh, within the last few hours, that there's going to be a lot of well-known Republican names and organizations that are going to refuse to contribute to Mastriano and or endorse him. I mean, that's going to be the most interesting thing from my perspective over the next three months is what traditional Republican companies, individuals, or organizations sit on the sidelines uh, and either don't contribute or don't endorse because the writing on the wall is there. And, and I would argue also, Donald Doug Mastriano is no Donald Trump. And I hate to give uh, President Trump that compliment, but he was a master of, a, of he was a showman to the nth degree. He was, he's, he continues to be fantastic in a crowd. He tells people what they want to hear. Um, and does a great job selling it. So, and that is not anybody that has seen a Doug Mastriano event. He's no, he's no Donald Trump. No, I, I agree with you 110% there. That's the, the greatest argument against my argument that he could win is exactly that. It, it, he is no, he is no Trump could win the president, the uh, gubernatorial race against Josh. Oh, that would be, yeah. yeah, that he may even be the favorite in that race well how but, did he how did he get there then like how did he get there how did mastriano get how did he get to this point because donald trump has successfully sold the big lie to the republican base this was a base performance for mastriano and and he ran, yeah, he ran on all kinds of extreme positions, but most essentially, 44% of the party said, we want the guy who most loudly denies that Joe Biden's the legitimate president. Yeah, and, and turnout was low, Howard. Um, yeah. So that, was, that, that obviously helps a guy who has been yeah. front and center on this issue for the last two years. Um, I do find the the irony in the, a guy that has been telling everybody about the illegitimacy of elections wins an election and proclaims victory. You know, if, if you're if you're going to stake all your claim on on something not being real and being fraudulent, uh, I, I do find well, it you, ironic Jim, that you, you stand you up and claim victory. The nuance that only Democratic mail-in ballots are fraudulent. Right, that's true. Republican mail-in ballots are perfectly legitimate. It, it would be interesting to have someone ask uh, the Oz camp and the McCormick camp right now if they feel like the election was legitimate. Before they are oh. announced the winner or the loser, get them on record saying they feel it was a fair election. And then because, you know, the loser. Well, who, who knows how they'll react, but that's a possibility. Well, to McCormick's credit, I think he could have had Trump's endorsement if he we're willing to take the position that the, that 2020 was illegitimate, but Mark, you're making a face. He did. Not, not to. He refused repeatedly from start to finish to answer the question who the president of the United States is. Literally. The question is, I know Dave, your friend, Dave, Dave, who's the president of the United States. I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> Start to finish. Okay. Listen, the I whole know, thing is screwed up, guy. which is. I know you worked with him. I, I, I know, I know. 
it's it, that's why I say it's beyond my worst nightmares that a guy like Dave McCormick won't admit that Joe right. Biden. So the what the heck is going on in the state that the four of you guys live in? That I mean, are you going to take the position that Donald Trump has just brainwashed everybody and that yes, everybody's nodding their head yes. <laughs> And the Republican Party, I mean, it's like someone said earlier, it's it's a base election and the the crazies are energized. And in a low turnout election, yeah, like no doubt. those are the folks that are, no are doubt. voting. And so I mean it's a classic out. primary electorate. Right. I actually think that I, I I might be mistaken, but I'm pretty sure I read that was the this was the highest Republican primary turnout in a couple decades in Pennsylvania. So I don't think it was a low turnout primary, which is perhaps more disturbing and more um, argues more so that we have a more competitive November than um, folks might like to think in a, in the gubernatorial race. I guess I just don't buy that there isn't something deeper going on. And I mean, people are obviously predisposed to, I, I think you guys said it right. It's anger. People are predisposed to be angry, but there's something I just think there's something deeper going on because people aren't stupid. And I don't, I think people are fundamentally smart. I think they're using their vote to express dissatisfaction with a system as opposed to blindly supporting, just supporting Donald Trump. Maybe I'm wrong. Uh, Howard, you, you may have missed this from uh, inside the beltway. Uh, well, no, actually you're outside the beltway. Um, no, I'm inside the Beltway, Jim. You're actually physically inside the Beltway? I am. The lieutenant governor candidate uh, on the Republican side, one of them, and Doug Mastriano's chosen running mate, had his third or fourth PFA filed against him within weeks of the, the, the election. Uh, Mastriano did not take a position to denounce it or to say that I'm not endorsing him anymore. And while the PFA was not um, held up in court in the days leading up to the election, the gentleman who had the PFA filed against him said it was all it was all a hoax and, and the media was out to get him. The liberal media was out to get him. And I don't know enough about PFAs, but I believe it has to be someone that files it against you. And the woman who filed it against him was his wife and she's not in the media. So, yeah, the, the media made it made a big deal about it. But I think I would like to know if my candidate has taken that position towards women as well. And he got almost 13 percent of the vote. A guy who has had three or four PFAs filed against him. And a PFA, just for our listeners' edification, is? Protection from abuse. Right. So, so what, I mean, is what's the point that people... Well, you said that they're angry and they're running to, they're running, they're, they're running against, um, the system as it currently is. I just don't understand how 13% of the electorate... I know would vote for someone that is obviously that flawed. Nor do I, but well, why do you think they are? I'd rather not say. <laughs> Jim, you're actually a town administrator. You're a town council right. member. You're an elected representative. Yeah, who carried the borough or whatever your thing is? <laughs> it's a township. Thank you. Who carried your township? Excuse me. Uh, Barletta won on the uh, obviously Republican side, and then on the LG side, Carrie Lewis Del Rosso won in in Mar Township. Okay, 
You know, I Howard, think, I, I think you're of course right that there is more involved than Donald Trump. I, I Donald Trump is symptom and and cause. Yeah. The conditions pre-existed Trump's rise for someone like him to tap into the anger and the alienation and the disaffection with some, the racism and xenophobia, not certainly with, with all by any means. All of those conditions are the underlying cause of which he is a symptom but he is also personally a cause in the to, in the sense it's become a cult of personality. It it is the Republican Party is about him. All of the disaffection, alienation, anger is about the issues, the the refusal to admit who the president is 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 a function of Donald Trump. He 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 brought that to the table. Joe. Yeah, I think Kevin's earlier point was important that, you know, the re Republicans are a lot more energized, and which I think points to how competitive this could this election could potentially be, despite all of Doug Mastriano's flaws and despite us not knowing who the Republican nominee is. Um, you know, we've got two candidates, you know, in Josh and in John who aren't from Philadelphia. A lot of the election is going to turn turn on, you know, turnout in Philadelphia, but also in the collar counties around it, you know, and, and in Pittsburgh. And, you know, without a contested primary um, in the gubernatorial, there wasn't really an opportunity for Democrats to get energized. Um, and with John leading in the polls pretty much the entire time, uh, you know, on the other side, I, I'm not sure what each of these candidates are going to be able to do to get turned out to where it needs to be for Democrats to win. Mm. Joe, you were a big part of Tom Wolf's second election. That the closest comparison we have is the last gubernatorial election. Yeah. How does this compare and contrast with that? You had a yeah. you had a Republican who wasn't Doug Mastriano, but but wasn't that far? Right. Yeah. 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 Tom Wolf, who isn't Josh Shapiro, but they got a lot in common. Right, right. Um, I just think it was the climate we were in and who was energized, right? Like 2018 turnout in the Philadelphia suburbs had like saw its peak. Uh, you know, you had a lot of folks. It was all anger in the other direction. What are we going to do to get Donald Trump out of office? And Republicans were asleep at the switch because Donald Trump was there. And, you know, we ended up winning, I believe, by 18 points um, with the, in the governor's race and with Casey winning by about 16 points. Um, it was a completely different climate. Now we've got Joe Biden at the top. The headwinds are against us. You know, history indicates in Pennsylvania that, you know, the, the party incumbent is going to lose um, come November. So, you know, Josh Shapiro would be defying history. Um, I think, you know, it, on paper, he's the underdog, you know, at, at this point. Um, you know, you add all the color to it, it's a little different. But, uh, yeah, it, it was just a completely different environment with, you know, you remember the the marches and, and, and the hats, the pink hats and everything else. I mean, it was, it was a different time. Um, so, you know, 2022... 
uh, I, I don't see a whole lot of energy on, on our side of the, uh, you know, on our side yeah. of the aisle right now. And Kevin, why didn't Connor Lamb do better against Fetterman? Because to me, he is like straight out of central casting as far <laughs> as like what this state, the type of candidate this state should be electing. I mean, he's, yeah. he's a, a moderate Democrat pro gun or whatever. I mean, he's not, he's not a, he, he's a, he's a guy who um, offers something to a bunch of different folks, but he didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Well, I think that that line is sort of the blessing and curse for him, right? As he is out of central casting. Um, and uh, yeah. you know, there's a couple of things at play. I think one is Fetterman has been running for a much longer time. He's been running for this race uh, uh, for, I think, about a year and a half. Um, and he's been much more visible statewide than Connor has been. Um, Connor won a, a really important race during a really important time for the party uh, in winning his seat um, a number of years ago. But that was specific to Pittsburgh. Um, and I think, you know, the last several years, if you turn, it's hard to watch MSNBC or, or cable news without seeing John Fetterman's head um, pop up on the screen at some point during the night. And so that level of um, visibility that he's had gave him, I think, a huge lead from the from the get go. Uh, you know, notably, Connor pulled up every endorsement um, from every elected official you can find in Pennsylvania. So uh, clearly folks know and like and trust Connor, um, particularly in the administrative level. But I think Fetterman had had a huge lead from the get go. And um, also, you know, if you spend time in, in rural and suburban Pennsylvania, there's a lot of people who, who look and talk and act like John Fetterman. Um, and I think the fact that a guy uh, has a few weird quirks um, stands out to a lot of folks and it makes them feel like, you know, they can relate. I mean, there's a fairly famous picture of Fetterman meeting um, Joe Biden after the Fern Hollow Bridge came down in Pittsburgh um, and a bunch of men in suits. And there's Fetterman in a hoodie and basketball shorts down past his knees. And it's like, you know, I, I grew up in Erie and there's a lot of weird people wearing uh, basketball shorts to your knees in the middle of a snowy winter. And that level of like like kookiness, I think, makes him stand out a little bit to folks uh, in a way that that's resonated. Um, but really I think it's a matter of him getting out ahead and having that statewide recognition that Connor just yeah. didn't have. Um, he just couldn't catch up. So, uh, meanwhile, Oz and McCormick are locked in this like ridiculously close race. That's definitely going to a recount. Um, it looks to me like, um, like Oz is going to come out on top. I mean, he's, He's up, I think, a little bit over a thousand votes, and some of the uh, vote counting that they were expecting the McCormick camp from folks I've talked to was expecting to go their way, actually hasn't gone their way, and so it looks like Oz may pull that out. We'll see. There, there are maybe ten thousand, ten to twelve thousand ballots left to be counted and, and Oz is ahead by I think uh, like I said a little bit over a thousand but how do those guys I guess either one how do, how do they do against Fetterman Jim wow um, give me the hot potato I, I, I think it depends on the candidate I, I really think that uh, that Oz will give uh, John a, a little bit more of a run because Oz has name recognition um more so than McCormick 
He's uh, he's very good in front of the camera. Not to say that that Dave is not, but Oz has been on television for a very long time um, professionally, and I think that will that will translate into some votes. I don't know if it's enough to make up the gap that currently exists. I, I'm, I'm sure some polling has Fetterman ahead um, by a, a decent size margin. I think a lot of it will depend on the next uh, four to five months of, of what happens in Washington, D.C. And, and the Biden administration. If if gas prices continue to go in the direction they're going in and um, inflation continues in the direction and everything else that is uh, hitting the kitchen table right now, um, I think it's going to be a problem for Fetterman and that will make that race yeah. tighter. But Look, nothing's changing dramatically in the next four or five months. I mean, inflation could begin to come down, but COVID clearly isn't going anywhere since I feel like every other person I know has it. Um, I'm going to cover my ears and I, yeah. (laughs) um, No, it's like, I mean, it doesn't seem like nothing dramatic. Nothing's going to get dramatically better between now and the election. In, in Washington. It may not get dramatically worse, but it isn't going to get dramatically better. I mean, I think Biden, for example, has done, a, I think he's done as good a job as a president could do with the situation in Ukraine to date, save for maybe a little bit of aggressive language that he didn't need to use vis-a-vis Russia. But like, I don't know. I, I don't think like anything's going to change dramatically in one direction or another it's just it's going to be a tough time it's anti-incumbency every president gets their clock cleaned at the first midterm cycle yeah so i mean i guess to to wrap that up i I think biden is going to pull fetterman back to oz or or mccormick um but i think shapiro is going to lift fetterman up so it'll be a little bit of a a pull in both directions for Fetterman. He's going to benefit from a strong Shapiro campaign and Shapiro having a lot of money to spend against a candidate that he probably won't have to spend it against. I actually think that in Oz can't, like you said, Jim, I think Oz is a stronger candidate against John. I think it highlights like two potential vulnerabilities for for john which are like suburban sort of like upwardly mobile you know uh middle class voters and then black voters in in philly um which is a place that john hasn't spent a lot of time at least up until this point i mean you know for a lot of voters who are just tuning in and most of them will just be tuning in i think after labor day they know Oz from Oprah. Uh, they know him as the guy that's dancing with Michelle Obama in those like anti-Oz ads. And like, if I'm Oz, I'm going to use what they tried to use against me in the primary to my advantage in the general. Um, Plus and he pulls I, in the New Jersey vote. He's from New Jersey. He's actually <laughs> from New Jersey. McCormick's from Connecticut. So let, let's start right. with John is running against foreigners. You know, yeah, know. This. Sorry. Sorry, Joe. I didn't know. I I think I don't think it necessarily as persuades like traditionally Democratic voters, but I think it could potentially depress turnout because, you know, Oz is an affable guy. Like Jim said, he's been on TV for what, 15 years. And I I heard Trump say something when he when he endorsed Oz, he was like, you know, uh, TV ratings are the best poll I've ever seen. If if people keep keep you on TV, you know. That means they like you on some level. 
something that uh, you and our listeners may not know, never having voted in Pennsylvania, Oz or McCormick benefit from the fact that the Senate race is on top of the ballot. So people are going to walk in and they're going to see Oz and Fetterman and they're going to vote for whomever. Then they're going to see Mastriano and Shapiro. And I, I just I think the ticket splitting is going to be more dramatic than it usually is because the the guy who is most likely to have tickets split against them is on the second line. If the governor's race were on the top line, this could be a whole different discussion about the Senate race. So, guys, there's that old, I think it was James Carville quote that um, between Philadelphia and Pittsburgh is Alabama or something like that. Is this... Like, is Pennsylvania, is, is this so good, as good as Pennsylvania, so good as the nation? I mean, are we looking as, is this a microcosm of the country as a whole, do you think, Kevin? I definitely do. Um, and it's funny to hear you bring that up because I was on a, a local Democratic committee call um, during the primary where John Fetterman spoke um, to my uh you know, my neighbors and uh, someone made that very comment and he responded swiftly and sharply um, opposed to that characterization and that framing of Pennsylvania. Um, and his his campaign has been all about, um, you know, red district outreach and no county is left behind and no vote is left uh, unchaste or uncounted. Um, and I think that style actually gives him a little bit more of an edge than you know, you might have seen in, in historic Democratic races, you know, notably you think of like, you know, the criticisms against Hillary Clinton in 2016 and leaving those pockets of Pennsylvania um, out of the outreach. Uh, I don't think Fetterman is going to make that mistake. And I think, you know, that that vibe and that um, sort of hard to hard to encapsulate energy that he has um, is one where he won't accept, you know, the, the democratic notion that you just get your votes from cities and suburbs. He's going to go try to scoop up uh, votes in those counties. Whether that bears a ton of fruit, I think, remains to be seen. But um, it is interesting because I think his his race, he's running on fairly normal mainstream democratic positions, you know, and every time he's asked, are you a progressive? Are you a democratic socialist? He's adamant that, no, I'm a Democrat. And um, so I think he's bringing, um, you know, the, the, a very normal mainstream Democratic campaign with a couple, you know, things that he cares about, like, you know, marijuana and um, pardons and things like that. He's bringing a few progressive edges into that race, but um, he's going to bring the campaign, I think, everywhere. And that'll be an interesting uh, one to watch because I think stylistically it's different than what we've seen in the last couple of years. But no, I, I think it, I think PA is very much emblematic of uh, what happens in um, the rest of the country. And I think you can find that in places like Erie and in Southwestern PA, um, because in the last several elections, you know, so goes like an Erie, uh, so goes the country. Um, and I think we'll learn a lot about what to expect and uh, when we see what happens here in PA. Is he going to wear shorts on the Senate floor? We'll see. No, there's a dress code on the Senate floor. He's Maybe he'll have like those ones you zip off. Um, in the yeah. event of a celebration, I certainly, if the Senate election goes the Republican way, I don't see Mitch letting him on the Senate floor in cargo shorts. But but he's in violation. Cargo shorts would violate even Chuck Schumer's. Well, if Fetterman wins Pennsylvania, 
I think it's going to be very hard for the Republicans to to take back the Senate. Right. Because I, I agree. I think in two more quick things about Dr. Oz, I think are worth noting. One, I uh, I don't know if anyone saw, but he spoke uh, with Donald Trump in, in Pittsburgh a couple weeks ago. And when he spoke, most of the first row turned their back to him because they didn't want to see him speak. So I think that that'll be an interesting dynamic to see. If, and I agree with you, Howard. I think he's going to pull out by a couple hundred votes at the end when this thing is done. But whether that depresses the sort of you know MAGA vote uh, a little bit because they don't think that he's quite up to par for them. Um, but the other thing, a brief anecdote, is my last travel between Philly and Pittsburgh. I had the, the pleasure of being on the same flight as, as the good Dr. Oz. And I was actually taken by how enamored airport staff and security and passersby were by him. And frankly, particularly, it was Black women uh, just running up to him, hugging him and holding him in the airport. And seeing that you know sort of visible display of um, affection for a man who is, uh, you know, running on a, a pretty staunchly conservative Trumpy uh, campaign. Um, it was a really interesting dynamic to see that that sort of star power remains. Um, and I know it's just an anecdote, but uh, it was it was worth watching. Um, I mean, and it, Joe, it made me very concerned for the Joe, fall. Is that be just because he's on TV? I mean, who would get elected to an office just because they happen to be on television? I can't I've ever imagine such a thing. Before. No. <laughs> Well, not, it couldn't happen in Pennsylvania. No. Right, right. right. No, I, I think, yeah, I, I tend to agree with Kevin. I think that most Black voters who are just tuning in will know who he is. They'll pro But they're not going to vote for him, right? They're going to say, oh, I heard Oz is crazy now, but I like him. He doesn't, he doesn't scare me. He looks like a nice guy. I don't know if I need to go out and vote for him. And the other point you said, Kevin, was that like it could depress the, the, the MAGA vote, right? I'm not sure because you've got Doug Mastriano, right? So like, I think in Trump's head, he, he endorsed Oz and he endorsed Mastriano. And everybody thinks Trump is just like, you know, this silly guy who just does things on a whim. But you've got like a moderate candidate who's been on TV, who's got high name ID, right? And then you've got a crazy guy who's going to energize the Republican base, it's sort of a good match if you're trying to, you know, generate turnout for, for Republican candidates moving into a general election. I don't think it's, I don't think he was, he was, you know, just doing it on a whim. I think it was pretty strategic, if, if you ask me. I, I don't think it's a, because if he's going to run in 2024, he needs the Mastriano vote to be energized and he needs them to be organizing going into 2024. And, um, It'll certainly be interesting to watch. Jim. Yeah, I do wonder, a previous topic on a podcast is obviously a potential decision um, on Roe v. Wade coming out from the Supreme Court and how that affects turnout. Does that uh, obviously motivate the Democratic base to come out um, because of whatever opinion is, is rendered? Or does it... Um, Likewise, keep some more moderate Republicans at home because they're just they they don't want to vote for Republicans because they're disgusted with that decision as well. I, again, I, I don't know what direction that goes in or or how that decision comes out, but it'll be interesting. And I think that will affect the outcomes of a lot of these tickets. Suburban women. I mean, that's well, what if, a lot of these elections the court, come down to. Yeah. And, and if the court, in fact, invalidates Roe, which is still the likelihood, I guess, although 
with all this Roberts Thomas skirmishing, it, it, they may have lost their majority. But if Roe gets repudiated, all the action is in the governor's mansion. The, Josh's whole campaign will be, you need me to veto the bill these guys are going to send up. No abortion ever is the right. bill that's going to land on the governor's desk. And right. Well, guys, uh, thank you for coming on and uh, giving us a break from uh, the usual discussion. <laughs> it's uh, no, but it's, it's great to have you guys on and um, to break down Pennsylvania. I, I I think it is a bellwether and it's, you know, you've got interesting races still to be decided and um, it's going to be a heck of an interesting few months here in the run up to the election. We'll hopefully get back together and keep our eye on PA and guys, thanks for joining us, Jim, Joe, Kevin, Mark, have a great weekend and thanks guys. You've been listening to the Beltway Briefing, a podcast from Cozen O'Connor Public Strategies with perspectives from both sides of the aisle. Please subscribe to our podcast so our episodes are automatically sent to you when they are released. The Beltway Briefing Podcast has been produced by Hometown Podcasts and Audio, Washington, D.C.